I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. Hi, beautiful ones. I am so happy to be back after an extended hiatus. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have neuropsychology expert Inka Imonen on the show. What an episode this is. It is so full of empowering information for mental health and well being. Inka has helped countless people find happiness energy, and health through a biopsychosocial approach. In this episode, we talk extensively about healing from migraines, how to recalibrate and balance the nervous system, the vagus nerve, and how and why it is so important to take care of, what kinds of foods to eat to optimize your mental and emotional health, and healthy habits for your brain's longevity. We also go down a really fun rabbit hole all about olive oil, and you know we love to talk about our fats on this show, so we do definitely nerd out a little bit about olive oil. Before we begin, please help us build our reviews by scrolling down to the bottom and rating this podcast. If you screenshot your review and direct message it to me on Instagram, I will share your profile on my Instagram story with my followers. It would mean so much. Thank you, and let's go to the show. Hi, Inka. How are you today? Hi, Dora. I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. And how are you? I'm good. I'm very, very excited and honored to have you on the podcast today to talk about brain health and mental health. And I would love to just start kind of at the beginning. So how did you get to be on this journey where you became a neuropsychologist and became interested in brain health? Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. And it has been a very interesting and multi-layered journey, so to speak. So basically, um, from early on, I have been interested in psychology, the human mind, the human potential, like how can we how can we like grow as human beings? And um, the other part of the journey has been my um, chronic migraines, which I had when I was a child, when I was growing up. So I had very severe migraines. I, I was quite a lot in pain and I, I became curious on what's happening, you know, at the age when I was able to understand that this is something going on in my neuro, nervous system and the brain. And there is some, something like inherited, maybe genetic that is, um, malfunctioning. So I became interested in how and what is happening inside the nervous system and is there a way to improve it? Because I was, I, I did try a lot of different kinds of medications and they didn't work. And um, then like around teenage years, um, I became interested in meditation and natural relief of the pain. And I started trying different kinds of natural tools instead of medicine. 
And then also I got very much into biohacking and tracking. Well, I've been tracking all my life because of the migraine diaries that I had to fill. Um, but I got more into tech, for example, and apps and this kind of things. And yeah, then I choose, choose to go study psychology. And then after that, I did my master's in neuropsychology. And here I am today. <laughs> wow, I love it because you were curious about how and what was happening to cause the migraines. And I think for, mm. especially in our culture, it's so normal for us to just be like, how do I fix it? But not looking at like, well, there's a reason why this is happening. Like if we have allergies or migraines or we're anxious, whatever's going on, it's not just ordinary, like there's something going on underneath. So I think it's very cool that you had that approach where you were like, Hey, something's off, something's going on. And it's very cool that you became curious enough to make it a part of your work, right? Because now Mm. here you are helping other people. And you talked a little bit about the nervous system. So Mm. how is the nervous system connected to migraines? Because that's not something a lot of people would even make a connection with. Mm. Okay. So basically the nervous system consists of uh, the the brain and the spinal cord, and that's then linked to to the peripheral nervous system. And um, so the nerves that connects to the muscles and internal organs and everything. And migraine is basically a nervous system disorder. So it's, it's a ba- brain disorder um, and the brain is part of the nervous system. So that is how it's linked. And all the pain signaling basically is, is like um, caused or happening in the nervous system and that manifests in your mind as the as the migraine pain or headache pain and migraine has a lot of different types of symptoms for example so there is also sort of like pre-headache sim- symptoms and after headache symptoms which include like mood disability or like mood changes for example you might feel irritable or anxious or depressed even fatigue and then you know symptoms linked to basic homeostasis like chills or sweating or something like that cravings food cravings which is like your brain signaling you're hungry even if you're not so this is all from the nervous system and there are a couple of key nerves uh, in humans that are linked to migraines which are like the vagus nerve and the trigeminal nerves and also a lot of neurotransmitters linked to migraines and neuropeptides and all sorts of stuff happening in the nervous system. We don't really know what causes migraines, but there are a lot of links to how the nervous system might be off balance when you have a migraine. Wow. How interesting is that? So you mentioned some of the nerves that are connected to what's happening. You mentioned the vagus nerve. Can you talk Mm. a little bit more about the vagus nerve? Yeah, of course. Vagus nerve is actually like one of the most fascinating nerves, I think, in the human body, maybe even the most fascinating nerve. It's very key central nerve for our stress, our mood, our sleep, our uh, arousal, wakefulness, everything. The vagus nerve is like the switch between alert state and relaxation. So it is the tenth cranial nerve. It means that it initiates from the brainstem And it connects to essentially all internal organs, your heart, your lungs, importantly, your gut as well, 
your kidneys, you know, and uh, it regulates on, yeah, the, the, the relaxation. So when the vagus nerve is active, then you feel relaxed. And when, when the vagus nerve is inactive, you are more alert and more, um, yeah, you might, might be even anxious, but you might be very happy or just very, you know, in a hyped up state. So your sympathetic nervous system is active. And um, vagus nerve is something that we see, like there might be dysregulation of vagus nerve or imbalanced function of the vagus nerve in disorders such as, um, well, migraines might be one of them, anxiety, depression, insomnia, all of these states and chronic stress are linked to the uh, sort of like a um, I would say like hypoactive vagus nerve. So that there is not like enough vagus nerve activation uh, or it's just like some somehow imbalanced or dysregulated. And this is super important in a sense that um, the vagus nerve connects to the gut and that is the main road, I would say, so to speak, main road in the gut brain axis, which we talk a lot when we talk about health. and. Um, just balance and well-being and good mood. Wow. So interesting. So so if I think we suffer as a society so much from anxiety, chronic stress, yeah. literally yes. the things you said, <laughs> migraines, anxiety, depression, chronic stress, and insomnia. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a number of factors, right? It's not just the vagus nerve, but it probably plays a big role for a lot of people. So what are some things that people could do to nurture the vagus nerve to help it be more balanced? Mm, Well, that's an excellent question. And yeah, that the vagus nerve is now a target of, basically it's not necessarily that the vagus nerve is somehow malfunctioning, but for example, if you have a gut dysbiosis, then your vagus nerve, because it's connected to the gut, the gut sends the signals to the vagus nerve sort of to be inactivated or activated. And that might cause the vagus nerve disbalance. Or if you have a lot of cortisol in your system, the vagus nerves is not not activating as much. If you're breathing very shallow breathing all the time, like (sighs) your vagus nerve does not activate as well. And it's the other way as well. Like if your vagus nerve is not activated, you have harder time to regulate this like a calming state of the body and the mind. So yes, like learning to activate the vagus nerve with certain practices is definitely like a key thing for recovery. And it's like almost like a quick, quick way to quickly um, relax and activate that parasympathetic nervous system that we need to feel good and to relax. So some things that you can do is, for example, take deep breathings as simple as that. Uh, longer lengthen your exhalation that activates the vagus nerve. Uh, there are also certain spots in the body. Oh, so, okay, before I go there, I would like to mention about the breathing, that that's why meditation is very good for the vagus nerve. So that naturally and usually in, involves this kind of uh, more deepen, deepening the breath and taking more long exhalations. And um, so meditation or breathing exercises. 
those would be one good thing. Uh, the second thing that I think is very important is just to take care of your gut health. Because there are like if you have dysbiosis, which means the imbalance of the gut bacteria, for example, so this disbalance in the gut microbiome, then the vagus nerve gets like um, a bit imbalanced. So just making sure that the gut health is correct, that there is no gut inflammation or leaky gut or SIBO or yeast or something like that with healthy, pure foods, not much processed, processed foods, um, foods that give um, like a good nutrient to you. So veggies for sure, uh, prebiotics, probiotics, so fermented foods for those who doesn't have like a IBS or condition that they cannot tolerate it. Uh, but fermented foods in general are quite good. Uh, all different colored vegetables, good oils, amino acids for sure. So protein mm -hmm. and um, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And stress management is also very good for the gut. Mm -hmm. So, but, but correcting the gut, the vagus nerve is also more calm or more, more, more imbalanced. Then some things that you can do quickly to tap your vagus nerve. It connects like behind the ear and in your wrist, there is like a, like a spot for vagus nerve. So you can actually press something cold on your wrist or behind your ear. Many times people tend to like um, almost um, intuitively massage the neck, like the back of the neck or behind the ear. And that also activates the vagus nerve. And then because it's connected to, to the internal, like the, the vocal cord and vocal organs as well, actually humming and uh, singing and activities like this that vibrate the vocal track will activate the vagus nerve cell. And I think one of the things as well that we see in meditation is this OM chanting. So if you just do OM chanting for a while, your vagus nerve gets more activated. Uh, then there are actually also neurofeedback and biofeedback things that you can use to train your vagus nerve activity. So I used uh, previously, I've done a lot of for my vagus nerve, like I, I try, I like trying different stuff. And at one point I did systematically vagus nerve training, which was also quite nice. Uh, it includes meditation, but in a way that you attach a sensor. So I had this um, HR and HRV measuring belt around my chest. And then an app, uh, which was at the time Elite HRE, I used that one. And you can see there, when your, when your HRV gets a bit uh, higher, HRV is heart rate variability, which is like an indirect way to measure the vagus nerve activity. So when your HRV gets higher, you can see that, okay, your vagus nerve is getting more active or, or, or like, yeah, activated. And when you see the pattern, and you know what you're doing with your body at the moment. Let's say you're taking deep breaths. Your brain gets a reward like, hey, this is working. This is activating your vagus nerve. Do it more. And then you learn to sort of with your breathing control the vagus nerve. Um, so these kind of things, for example. So fascinating. So something that I'm curious about because then the vagus nerve can help you have less anxiety 
even be more, I think, content, feel just more at ease, sleep better. But we also live in this society that's very much focused on productivity, right? That's Mm -hmm. why we drink so much coffee. That's why we, you know, have so much fast paced everything around us. So when we think of being able to be productive and being able to kind of get things done, does a healthy vagus nerve support that as well, that productivity and that kind of being able to meet yourself in challenges throughout the day? Yes, for sure. So basically anything that you can do to maintain your nervous system homeostasis, the the sort of a state in which you can quickly activate your recovery nervous system. And when you need, you can activate the sympathetic nervous system. That's all supporting your productivity. So as you said, um, we have almost a misconception that we should all the time be producing something or be in this like high arousal state so that we can get things done. Um, But if we overreach to the certain like peak performance level, we actually get even more fatigue. And that's that's called Jerges Dotson law. There is like a sweet spot of arousal. And if you push to that limit, your performance starts to decline. And what actually often happens at this point is that people think that they are tired. So they're like, oh, I'm underactivated. I should drink more coffee. <laughs> but that's actually going towards a burnout. So in that that spot, we actually need to be able to recognize I'm overreaching. Actually, I've been working already 10 hours. Am I really tired? Or am I like, like, am I tired so that I'm like just woken up tired and I need to boost myself? Or am I tired because I've already worked so much that now I need to activate my vagus nerve and my recovery system and lay down or take a meditation and just chill and replenish that energy because the nervous system needs to replenish all the time when you're using energy you are accumulating these side products on the cells you're accumulating toxins you're accumulating thoughts like you need detox before you can fill your head again you know with new thoughts and new things to do so yes i would say like learning to control your nervous system balance is definitely um very important to avoid for that to go into burnout and the mental health issues, for example, that we see today quite a lot like depression and anxiety and chronic stress. And the thing is too, like, what is the cost, right? Of constantly pushing yourself past that point of being healthy or being balanced with your mental health and with your brain health. Because, you know, on this show, we talk so much about anti-aging And I think just like your body, when you push your brain too much like that, like you tend to age your brain faster in a way, because you're pushing past that place where you can regenerate right at at night. And and when you have that rest period. Yes, definitely. You're totally correct. And one of the biggest things that happen is that when you stress too much, when you work too much, you lose your sleep. And then you start missing that, for example, the deep sleep during which your brain is actually detoxifying from all beta amyloid and the the toxins that you need to wash out from your brain to prevent neurodegenerative diseases. So yes, like 
overreaching for the brain is not good either. And uh, that there, there is a risk of getting like more neural inflammation. And it's like, it's not only mental. Many people think like, oh yeah, I'm tired and stressed, but I can push through it. Uh, but it's not only mental, it's your body also aging during that moment. And if you want to, yeah, maintain that longevity pattern going on, you need to sleep and you need to rest so that your cells can, you know, repair the DNA, detoxify from, from the harmful toxins. One important thing in sleep, for example, is the REM sleep during which the amygdala, the, the sort of like the fear center of the brain, uh, calms down. So without that, you are all the time in this hyperactive active state and we've all we've all been there like after a sleep deprived night we've been like oh I don't feel that like I feel a bit like tense and irritated and uh and we actually like in studies that they have shown that people are more attentive to negative information after REM sleep deprivation so that's like you need the sleep to even feel positive Mm. Mm. And what are the long-term effects of not, you said neural inflammation, neurodegeneration, like what does that look like long-term? Well, it can look like, for example, a, a neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's or, or like chronic anxiety called chronic stress, clinical depression, something like that. So it's, it, it, it can cause all kinds of harmful things for the brain and the body. Yeah. And then, and then short-term as well, right? Because we Mm -hmm. think of brain health, especially when we talk about anti-aging, a lot of times we don't necessarily think of the brain. We think first of the aesthetics, you know, like what do Mm -hmm. other people see? And then we often think of things like weight gain and, you know, perhaps things that you may that may be more noticeable, right. And even Mm -hmm. mental health, right. One of the things we talk a lot about is like, well, it's important to talk about it because you don't see it, right. People don't Mm -hmm. see if there's something going on. It's hard to, to know that, especially if somebody is, is actively trying not to share it. So I think it's really powerful that we're talking about this today. And then even in the short term, right. If you are not if you're having neural inflammation, if you're having, um, not good sleep and, and you're suffering kind of from anxiety, depression, then it also affects your personal relationships as well. It's, it's your moods, right? You're not feeling able to communicate the way that you would like to, even as a parent, right? It's really challenging already. And then putting on top of that anxiety, depression, all of that. So I think it's really important to consider the things that you can do to help support your brain health. So you mentioned diet. When Mm -hmm. we talk about diet and supporting mental health and brain health, what are kind of the most important things that we want to remember when it comes to how we're eating, especially what to eat and then what kind of to avoid? Mm, That's an excellent Excellent question. And there are like in recent years, there has been quite a lot of studies on this topic, like what kind of nutrient intake is associated with better mood and better brain health. So we have identified certain 
nutraceuticals almost or micronutrients that play a big role in this. So for example, uh, these kind of Mediterranean types of diets seem to support longevity, first of all, and then also brain health and mental health. Um, so those diets naturally includes a lot of vegetables and a lot of um, like green leafy things uh, because they contain a lot of phytonutrients. These like very colorful, powerful colors in fruits and veggies. They are a sign of, hey, this has good stuff in it, especially purple purple color and it's like very dark colors it tells that they are very antioxidant rich things like blueberries contain resveratrol which uh, which has been identified to be like a, a good good thing for our longevity and brain health then like dark green stuff uh, actually very like um yeah very dark green stuff has has all kinds of good things and they have a lot of vitamins they are packed with vitamins then we have cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and those kind of things, Brussels sprouts, which have sulforaphane, uh, which activates this NRF2 pathway, like the, some people refer it as like one of the long, longevity pathways as well. And uh, so all kinds of vegetables, but we know this already, like we have been talking about this all the time, like eat, eat your veggies, you know, that's the that still applies yeah. um, then on top of that our brain needs a lot of fat so brain is essentially like a, a big fat ball almost <laughs> and also it has a lot of water in it but uh, DHA is one of the key nutrients DHA is in fish so like salmon um, herring mackerel those kind of things are very important for the brain but you can also get the dha from from kelp from seaweed which is actually for where the fish get their dha so if if you are a vegetarian or vegan like you can still get your dha uh, from seaweed products uh, kelp is very good source um then um i would say protein Protein has amino acids, um, so like good meat, not very like uh, this kind of processed, very high temperature fried meat, but rather grass fed, high quality, you know, wild, wild meat, for example, that is excellent uh, source. Your body can also utilize it quite well. Mm, one very good grain food uh, is also eggs because it's a complete protein it has choline and lutein which are also very rich in the brain choline is for example needed for the the white matter of the brain and the white matter is a fat layer that surrounds every single axon in the brain and axon sends all the electrical messages in the brain so when the white matter degrades the message in the brain they just run very much lower um, so that's something that we want to maintain and keep up the, the myelin layer in the brain. So eggs are a good source for choline, but they also contain like a lot of vitamins. So especially the yolk part of the egg is super nutrient dense. And some people like in the fitness world, you know, you, you see this, that they eat the, the only the white part. And they throw away the yolk because it's like cholesterol and fat and it's so calorie rich. And I'm like, no, give me all the yolk. Yeah. 
I'll take them all. Because that's actually also our brain needs cholesterol. It's like, it's very demonized, but we also need cholesterol for the brain. Mm. So egg is like almost like a perfect food for the brain. And uh, don't throw away the yolk, please. Um, one tip, by the way, for the yolk is if you want to maintain all the good nutrients in the egg yolk, uh, leave it raw to this kind of four to six minute eggs. If you boil them are the best or eggs sunny side up where you just fry the white part, but you leave the yolk like almost completely raw. Um, so that will ensure that you are not destroying all the, all the good santafillins in the, in the, in the yeah. yolk of the egg. And also that is actually a good way to fry um, or, or use the egg also because it destroys then the albumin in the white part, which is allergenic for some. So that reduces the chances of getting like an allergic reaction from that. Um, then we have, uh, did I mention blueberries? I did mention blueberries. Yeah, they are one of my favorites. They, they deserve a second mention. <laughs> I, would, I would basically include those to the day, uh, like daily diet or all kinds of berries are very good. Also like strawberries, they are high in vitamin C which is super important for the myelin on the brain, just the brain structure, but also mental health. Like uh, for many, neuro it, it, it's needed in essentially all of the main key neurotransmitter synthesis, like dopamine, serotonin, glutamine, and the GABA and those kind of things. Um, then we have spices like turmeric. Uh, it's for example, it has turmeroids and volatile oils that are, that have known to have anti-inflammatory effects in the brain. Although here I need to need to clarify that uh, it's like it needs to be like a good quality. There were some some patches of turmeric back in the day that had like some sort of um, I think it was was it Indian or Sri Lankan. I'm not sure. Do your research, but um, <laughs> um, uh, I think those had some some like quality issues. Mm. So just making sure that it's good quality or like fresh turmeric. Like turmeric latte, it's very good for the brain. You can also substitute sometimes a coffee with turmeric latte, like just switch to that one. That also, at least that for me, it cheers me up. So uh, spices in general are usually good to include to the diet. They are like full of just like small nutrients. Um, and then one of my favorite ones that I eat daily and is also a key in the part in the Mediterranean diet and so-called mind diet is the extra virgin olive oil. So the oleic acid that's in the olive oil is neuroprotective. So yeah. those kind of things. Mm. That's amazing. I, I love so many of the foods that you mentioned. I think eggs is a really big one. And olive oil, I want to, I want to elaborate a little bit and go get a little bit deeper into that because we've talked mm -hmm. so much about oil on this show <laughs> and oils and, you know, what oils to eat, what oils to avoid. And then also how high to eat certain oils, right? Because mm -hmm. some of them are shelf stable. Some of them are not. So when we're looking for olive oil, cause I get this question a lot myself, mm -hmm. what olive oil do I buy? to know that it's a good quality olive oil, um, because mm -hmm. some of them are like cut with vegetable oil. Right. And, and we, and some of them are in like clear glasses and then also, so how do we choose an olive oil? That's a quality olive oil. And then also 
can you heat olive oil or not? Is it better to leave it like as a salad dressing or like just light cooking? Mm, that's actually a, a very good question. I'm so happy that you asked about it because I'm like also a olive oil nerd and I Yay. love trying out different olive oils and just have like olive oil tasters. It's so nice. And we did uh, like write about this um, with a uh, medical doctor, Oli Soviatri, one of the biohackers handbooked authors. So I just uh, take out the, the document that we did about the olive oil. So here's like uh, how to choose a good olive oil 101. <laughs> Uh, so basically, high quality olive oil is obviously made by picking and selecting the olives by hand, and they should be pressed within 18 hours of picking. And the pressing should occur at temperature which is below 27 uh, degrees Celsius, which is like 80 Fahrenheit, so to, to retain all the, like, the antioxidants and those good stuff. Mm, it's better to choose an olive oil that is very dark color because it has a richer polyphenol content. The darker the color, the like the richer the polyphenol content. But that almost applies to any any like vegetable even as well, uh, as long as it's not like rotten, obviously. But you know what I mean, like naturally dark yeah, <laughs> veggies. Yeah. Mm. And okay, actually, yeah, this is an interesting like uh, nitty gritty detail that some of the olive oil from, from Greece, um, for example, in, uh, produced in 2018, and in 2015 in Italy, had uh, olive fruit fly contamination and infection. And so um, that destroyed the crops in both countries. And yeah, so, so some of these, the 2015 Italy olive oils, 2018 Greek olive oils might have this like a problem of contamination. Mm. Um, and it also reduced the pigments, uh, the, the free acidity and total polyphenol content in the oils. So these are maybe not the best qualities to choose then. And so the recommendation would be to choose an olive oil that, uh, that doesn't come those countries or at least are not those years patches. Um, I love Spanish olive oil, although I also love Italian olive oil, like the fresh fruit stuff. Um, so those are like excellent, good olive oils. Um, what else? Um, yeah, actually frying with extra virgin olive oil produced the least amount of harmful, uh, harmful heterocyclic amines compared to other oils such as rapeseed oil. So many people think that you cannot fry with olive oil but actually olive oil has quite high smoke point which is 190 to 207 degrees celsius which equals to 380 to 405 fahrenheit so in moderate moderate temperatures it's suitable for for most most frying and um yeah if, if you want to preserve all the nutrients in any food essentially i mean it's better to use better or uh, longer cooking time and lower heats uh, so that's why olive oil is a very good good cooking oil i also use avocado oil which also can stand very high heat so those are the my my two 
um, sort of go-to oils. Avocado oil is also very good brain food, actually. So, so yeah, you could choose either one. But yeah, what was this enough nerding about yeah, olive oil? <laughs> actually, so interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned Italian and Spanish olive oils too, because when you're at the store, especially like a Whole Foods or something, there's so many to choose from. And I'm like a geek too. Like I'm so into where does this come from and who, who grew it and all of the little details about whatever we're eating. So I think it's cool just knowing you can go online and research. You said the first 18 hours of picking that it's pressed and that it's, I guess you said 27 degrees. Yeah. So like all the little details, if you're looking up what, what olive oil you're going to choose, you can probably research and even write to the company. Cause that's something I would do is ask. So how yeah. do you make your olive oil? Yeah. Right. And, um, well, I think sometimes those information are not necessarily available, yeah. but a good rule of thumb is that choosing an olive oil that looks that it's very dark mm. and usually these are in a very dark glass bottles as well because they want to preserve the color and the polyphenols in it like when it the lights hit to it like it starts like degrading those things yeah. so it's good to be like a in a real glass bottle first of all to avoid any harmful microplastics that goes into the oil and bpa mm. and stuff like that and then have it in a in a dark bottle uh, but sometimes there are disappointments like it's a very dark like black bottle and the olive oil is like see-through and you're like oh no um, but that yeah, means you get to, get to buy another one and taste it yeah. <laughs> yeah um and you mentioned actually microplastics which i don't know mm-hmm. how much we want to go into this but when i think of microplastics as well like i mean i truly try to get as much stuff in glass even just when i save something to eat the next day, I'll put it in a glass container instead of a plastic container. Do do microplastics have an impact on brain health? Mm, So I haven't searched that much about the microplastics. Mm, Actually, I don't know like the straight answer if there are research on microplastic brain health, but there are quite a lot of studies on how these microplastics, when they accumulate in the body, they start like uh, circulating and causing inflammation. And even like I saw this like one a bit nasty study that they like might go into the lungs and cause some lung problems. Mm-hmm. So of course, like if you can always choose glass products. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when you are cooking food, for example, I would just change all the plastic. Um, what do you call that in English? I'm not sure. Thing that you ladle and yeah, spoon yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those plastic ones yeah. to wooden ones or something like bamboo fiber or something yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah they no, are definitely absolutely. less harmful. Makes sense too. And if you say that about the lungs, right? And you're talking about the vagus nerve. If you, if you can't breathe, then your vagus nerves in trouble. And if your yeah. gut, you know, your gut health is compromised because of microplastics and it affects your, your brain. So yeah, That's I'm correct. sure that it's connected. And then you did mention coffee earlier, which I'm curious about, because I think this is a hot topic for a lot of people, mm-hmm. coffee or no coffee. So mm-hmm. kind of where are you at with that? And, and especially when it comes to mental health, because some people 
you know, avoid coffee because of their mental health. So what do you think about coffee? Mm, well, I think that, as you said, it's a, it's a mixed topic and some people avoid it and some people drink it. And that's why, uh, or that's what I think it is. It's highly individual. Like I, it's uh, research and it's a known fact that coffee being itself is high in antioxidant and it is healthy. And for sure, moderate consumption of the coffee is linked to longer lifespan. But recent years, obviously we have noticed and we have come to know that we have these genetic variations like a minority of the people are highly sensitive to coffee and if they consume those few cups coffee a day even they might have a higher risk for heart disease and stuff like that because it gets the nervous system so alarmed and so i would say like the general rule of thumb is that yes coffee in moderate amounts is good for your hair health and longevity but we are all individuals so if you, if you like take a cup of coffee and you get very jittery anxious and you're like i don't want to do this anymore then you probably shouldn't uh body is also very wise mm. and um yeah that's that's my opinion like um do what feels good for you i would say Mm, I love it. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we can do to support brain health and mental health. I know one thing you've talked a little bit about on your Instagram, which is amazing. If you are not following Inca on Instagram, I highly recommend it. She has so much information on there. One of the things you talk about is lights. And especially when we talk about sleep as well, what role does light play in our brain health? Well, it plays a big role, especially now that you mentioned sleep. It's basically what regulates our, our sleep, like one of the key things that regulates our sleep. So our nervous system is timed based on our environmental light. And for example, in the morning, when you get the sunlight, it initiates your circadian rhythm. And based on that one, your body kind of starts producing, for example, certain hormones at certain times of the day, or it uh, affects your digestive patterns. And it affects on when your brain starts to produce melatonin in the evening. And it's not only that when you get the light, but also what type of light you get so there are blue and green and uh, yellow spectrum light and red spectrum light and you want to get different types of light on a different time of the day and on top of that we have therapeutic lights so we have like bright light devices that mimic sunlight so if you live in the North Pole, <laughs> like, like Finland or Estonia or Sweden or Norway, if you, if you live in the northern countries, um, there is not that much sunlight during the winter. So you can use the, the therapeutic lights to then balance your circadian rhythm. Actually, these, uh, these countries are very high in depression and they also statistically use a lot of coffee like Finland is the most coffee consuming country in the world <laughs> and I suspect one of the reasons is because of the lack of the light because it's very hard, hard to get energized 
mm. without the sunlight. So these therapeutic lights can help, and they can also help in jet lag. And for some people, they they help in in depression. And um, I don't know in, in California is that is that the case? Like you probably get a lot of sunlight, so you don't need those. Yeah, unlike I mean, mimicking lights. <laughs> yeah, so well, I was born in Holland, and um, in Holland, I lived there till I was about nine, and in Holland it's like that, like very dark, very gloomy. I actually spoke to my friend yesterday and she's like, it's, she's in Holland. It's so dark and so gloomy. I've been feeling down, but it's probably just the weather. You know, how do I even know what, what's really going on? Because the weather is so gloomy, but here in California, it's a lot brighter. The sun is out a lot. I live by the coast, so it's definitely cold but the sun comes out. It's very foggy here. So we get a lot of fog, but my sister lives in Seattle and in Seattle, it's very similar as well. It's very gloomy, very dark. So I feel like a lot of people can benefit from the therapeutic light. Yes, definitely. And yeah. funny that you mentioned, mentioned Holland. Like I just recently read a stat. It was like just a few days ago that an average in America, a person consumes, was it 160 something milligrams of caffeine per, caffeine per day? And in the Netherlands, uh, it's 450 milligrams. So maybe that, that's right. one of the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so they also love coffee. They love uh, coffee. The Netherlands, yes. Yeah. They also and, have, I think here it, the culture is probably different too. I don't know how it is in Estonia, but in Holland, you have a lot of like, breaks like you have a coffee time or tea and tea time here mm. we just you get it on the go you know you're going to work you're drinking coffee while at work but I feel like in other places maybe Estonia too like you take some time away from work and you sit and then you have coffee with people it's like a social yes. thing so yeah yeah, definitely. Whereas they used like tea at the UK. I lived in the UK. It was always like a tea thing. Um, and I'm from Finland. In Finland, it's a coffee thing. We sit down and we drink coffee. And here as well, it's a, it's a coffee thing. thing. So yes. definitely it's like a, and it's even in, it's called like in Finland, at least in the works, uh, work places, it's called coffee break. Oh, cute. I mm. love it. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. We need that here. <laughs> yeah. So you said the therapeutic light, what is the therapeutic light look like? Is it like a big, cause here we have like red light panels. Mm. So like a red light panel, is it like that or how, how does it work? Yeah. So red light panel is also a very nice therapeutic light device. Um, this sunlight or bright light, which is actually called seasonal affective disorder light. Um, it's a little bit smaller usually. It can be a bit bigger as well, but like a size of an A4 paper, I would say. And you put it next to your face in the morning for 15 minutes, for example. And what happens is that when you see that minimum of 10,000 lux, that's how much it needs to have of the illumination. When you see that brightness and you know, your brain thinks that, oh, this is now the, 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 the sunlight, the first trace of sun that I'm seeing. And now I start the circadian rhythm, which then supports, for example, the melatonin production in the evening. And um, so, yeah, that, that's sort of a device. And sometimes I just use it in the winter also during the day, if it's very, very dark. 
so I took my brain to think like I, I love going out when the sun is out so I think that's one of the key things actually for mental health as well to get enough sunlight when the sun is out many people tend to go out when it's like after work and here for example then the sun has already set uh, if you don't get that bright light during the day it doesn't only affect your sleep but also your neurotransmitter systems like the serotonergic system which is very important uh, for the mood and mental health so that like 20 minute walk for example during a midday sun is a very effective very simple very also also free tool to to improve the mental health and um, then I also like actually those therapeutic red light panels, uh, both red light and infrared light. And there are studies that these can also penetrate into the, into the brain and like start healing the brain as well. And of course, red light panel has a systemic effect. So even if you just take it, for example, to your back, it shows that it, it uh, lowers inflammation systematically. Which like any kind of inflammation in the body might have a negative effect of, of for the brain because your nervous system is essentially a bit more active and you get that like um, harder time to recover and relax mm. and your cortisol is probably a bit higher as well so this kind of low level inflammation is actually identified as one of the possible reasons for depressed mood as well yeah, light is such a fascinating thing. I think especially because I always try to explain it to people and like we think of our ancestors for thousands of years, they had nothing but the sun and candlelight and fire, you know, that was mm -hmm. it. And then just in the last hundred years or so, we have electricity where people, the majority of people are all exposed to electricity and fluorescent light and artificial light and screens. And so all of a sudden our biology is like, what the heck is going on? This is so different. Like, we're, not, <laughs> we're not used to this. Our bodies have not acclimated to this different level of, of constant light and um, yeah. And the blue light as well on our phones. I mean, we're constantly looking at this light on our phones and on screen too. Mm. Yeah. So, when, so you, when you, when you have a phone or when you have a screen, um, what are some things that we need to think about then when it comes to our mental health and brain health? Mm. Well, in the phone and in the screen, there is a lot more, but uh, actually contributes to mental health than the light but if we talk about the light then I would say block that blue light two hours before sleep that's one of the key things you can do um, so basically use blue light filter like um, flux is a very good one that you can install to your computer or you can use blue light blocking glasses um, if you are on the phone in the evening but generally, like I know that many, many people also use it to relax and watch some videos and stuff like that, but it might also stimulate your mind. And one of the key things that have now been discussed quite a lot is actually the use of certain platforms like social media and the, the how to how you use them. They may, may be like hijacking your dopaminergic system and causing you like more st distress 
and uh, mental health problems. I know that it depends very much on how you use them, but they are sort of designed as well, certain apps to keep you like hooked and constantly wanting to go back and then, you know, giving you these rewards and making you conditioned to using them. Um, so we need to, there is like so much uh, on what do we need to consider in technology in general. And uh, that's why I think one of the areas of research which, which is very interesting um, has born to be now is or like areas in psychology or phenomena in psychology that that is researched now is techno stress. So how the use of technology may increase our stress. But I would say as a general rule is that just becoming self-aware of how you use the technology. There are quite a lot of apps nowadays as well that you can install to, for example, before you open an app, uh, it's one app called Space, is that before you open an app, it says you like, take a deep breath. You need to take the deep breath so it doesn't give you the instant reward of opening the app and seeing something surprising and like uh, you know increasing your dopamine and making your hook but you have to do the mindful breath which gives you like a little bit of space of that reward mm -hmm. so you could use those kind of apps there are also apps that can be installed that uh, sort of prevents you to using for example certain uh, web pages for more than 60 minutes a day, for example, oh. if you're really, really addicted of reading news or something like that, so that might be a good thing to install. And uh, yeah, just monitoring, like tracking a little bit of how many minutes nowadays, actually phones can also give, at least my phone, um, it gives like me a report on how many minutes I used a certain app. So I can check like, oh, okay. So my social media use has now doubled all of a sudden, like maybe I should take a little bit less screen time and a little bit more nature time and just like leave the tech at home. I love sometimes just leaving the tech at home, going for a walk, not even a podcast, nothing, just like being in the environment, just breathing, being really EMF-free, you know, <laughs> and just being connecting with the nature. Um, those kind of things are very effective and very much, I think, needed. But but you first, of course, becoming just mindful on is my technology use causing me more distress? Oh, my gosh, I can relate so much to that. And I'm sure most listeners can, because I think there's very few of us who have a very healthy like I don't even know if it's possible to have a really healthy relationship with social media and be very active on it. I'm constantly trying to find the boundaries and the balance. And I've taken some time off recently off of Instagram because it was giving me so much anxiety. And I was like, there's something going on here. I feel like I need to take some space. So um, it's been a very interesting thing because I think our brains are so trained on social media that we're not even as present because our brain is like, I need that that hit of picking up my phone and getting on social media. Um, and often we pick up our phone and we don't even remember why we're all of a sudden, you know, down a rabbit hole on Instagram. And we're like, wait, why did I pick up my phone? I was going to do something. So I think it's really good that you're mentioning this because when it comes to mental health, right? Like there's the biological piece and the physiological piece, but also we think of like the chemistry that our brain 
um, you know, uses or produces when we're using our phones. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to think about as well. Mm -hmm. And there is actually one interesting piece of research that I showed, uh, it's, it was occupational psychology and it was improving the mental health of the workers. And one of the most the disturbing and most distressing things for these workers were that they, they, were, they had to or they were answering emails during um, the day like all the time. So they felt like they are interrupted because they know it is an important email they have to answer. Yes. Blah, blah. So what they did, they actually um, signified a, a timings or um, so that made rules that they would only answer the emails eight in the morning and 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. like two times a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And that's all. And all the other times they wouldn't look at the email. And still, like all the important emails got replied, and it's it's I think it's a very reasonable delay for answering yeah. an email if it's four hours. You know, yeah. it's still within the one day. Yeah. But the but the well being of the workers significantly improved because they felt they are more in control now. So this is something I think we can all apply to to those situations where we feel like okay now my tiktok use or instagram use or facebook use or news reading has gone out of hand i feel a bit distressed and anxious and i cannot control it that much then like dedicated times if we don't want to like you know give it up it is like it might be an important tool like work tool for example Mm -hmm. so then just okay eight in the morning 3 p.m for half an hour and that's it Yes, and I that sort that. of resets the resets the reward thing that we would constantly get as well. And yeah. you know, as you said, taking a bit of a detox from mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. Uh, might be as well if that's possible, taking like one, two weeks off mm-hmm. might do wonders. Mm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because the way that our brain works as well, like we're constantly trying to feel safe, right? And survive. And our social media these days, it's so real. Like it's such a big part of our lives that we, it's almost like skewed reality of like how important it is. And I even always, I always tell my clients to like turning off your phone at night, because if you, your brain is knowing that there's alerts on your phone and people notifying you on your phone, whatever it is, text messages. And so you're never fully able to relax, right? Because there's no boundary that's been set. So I think it's really powerful that you mentioned having these times where whether it's emails, whether it's checking your inbox on, you know, Instagram, whether it for me, it's tweeting too. like, I try to set these boundaries around Twitter as well. Like, I'm not going to constantly check, 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 because otherwise, then you lose your sense of focus as well. Like you can't ever focus on anything because part of your brain is like, what's going on over there? I need to make sure I'm not missing out or having like, you know, FOMO or or something like that. Mm -hmm. And also that's like, whenever we are doing anything, our brain is constantly practicing and creating these neural connections and strengthening the neural connections. If we keep jumping from whatever we are doing, we are teaching our brain basically to get distracted all the time. Mm. And that starts then be automatic. So we need to retrain our brain to stay focused 
and resist the temptation to go into the social media and train our brain again that, hey, let's just stay here. And, you know, PPM is my my time to check the social media. Or like, just, just like give, give the sort of like the permission to the brain at some point, like, okay, now this task is done. Yeah. Now I'm going to move, like make it a very, very conscious thing. And it's great because what you're saying is is basically that when you do that, just like meditation, you strengthen the new neural pathways. So even though in the beginning, it might be hard to sit and leave your phone over there after a while, it will get easier because your brain is going to say, oh, this is normal. This isn't out of, you know, so wild, such a wild idea to just sit and focus on one thing for a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right. So one more question, and then I, I want to make sure we um, wrap this up. So you have talked a little bit about nootropics. And so I'd love to just touch on that subject of, you know, any kind of supplementation or anything like that, that you think is helpful for mental health and brain health. Hmm. Well, yeah, um, there are a lot of a lot of things like it, it, it depends maybe a little bit about um, what is like the goal mm-hmm. and what is the what is the issue. So so let's say for mood and mental health, um, I would say the overall balanced diet is very good. But for example, if you are very irritated or low mood or anxious, like tryptophan might be uh, helpful um, if it's like a serotonergic thing going on there. Um, if you are lacking vitamin Bs, like that might make you very depressed. So then vitamin B supplementation, especially if you are a vegetarian diet, you might be lacking B12, for example. Um, then omega-3 fatty acids, if you're not eating enough fish, like the recommendation is would be to eat like 100 grams of fish per day, fatty fish, which usually we wouldn't get that much from the diet and might not even be healthy because of the quite high mercury content in uh, most of the commercial fish. So then some sort of uh, good uh, omega-3 tree supplement um, also like, or, or, or the kelp, kelp supplement just making sure you get your vitamin c and antioxidants i would say and um, so food would be the first thing i think brain health and mental health is like a long-term dedication there is no magic magic pill for that one but generally if you want to like improve your performance short term if you have like a i don't know some presentation coming or or you need to do like um you need to get into flow to produce text really fast. Then you can try caffeine with alcyanine. That's like one of the most, I would say, normal known combination. Uh, if you have um, if you have a sleep depth, for example, I would try um, creatine monohydrate. That is could, could like boost boost your performance after a sleep deprivation. Also, caffeine can do that, uh, but might long term cause problems if you start to do that as a cycle um of always uh, using caffeine for that uh, l-tyrosine uh, has shown 
especially when you are high stressed or you have sleep deprivation, you can like boost your brain performance a little bit with that one. So that's like the precursor for dopamine, uh, which might be very low if you haven't had your good night's sleep. And um, yeah, there are all sorts of new topics that then you can try. I talk only about the natural ones. So uh, there are also prescription nootropics. I'm not really familiar with them. I talk about herbs like bacopa monieri or um, a rose root and that kind of things. And um, lion's mane, I think, generally is very fascinating, interesting nootropic and a supplement for brain health. So there are studies showing that it can improve the nerve growth factors and BDNF and grow new, new synapses. Mm mainly like uh, still animal studies, but will be very interesting to see like where it goes. It's quite yeah. promising. And uh, yeah, just like my personally for me, that's very fascinating. And um, yeah, for example, those would be very good, good for supporting the brain, brain and mental health. Awesome. I will, I'll write them in the show notes as well so people can check them out. So... Mm -hmm. We ask our guests uh, three questions at the end of the interview. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, what is your definition of beauty? Oh, wow. That's a very good question. I think uh, like the most beautiful, like, well, beauty can be found everywhere. Like it's maybe something that gives you like this awe-inspiring feeling beautiful piece of music or beautiful art or beautiful person you know with their soul with their mind it can be like awestruck or you, you can get awestruck from that so I think that's our that is usually when I go like wow that's beautiful and um, yeah then when it comes to people for example if we define in people I think authenticity is the most beautiful thing that a person can possess Love it. All right. Second question. What is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? The first thing that came uh, instantly into my mind was sleep. Mm -hmm. I think sleep is essential, is the, is the key for, for balanced health and, and beauty. It affects to everything in our mind and body as well. Beautiful. And it's fun. <laughs> and it's fun. I agree. It, oh, it changes everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and where can people find you? Well, thank you for asking. Um, um, mainly now my Instagram. So it's at Inka Imonen, my first and last name. And yeah, there I share tips on, on brain health, migraine optimization, and mental health. And also there is a course that we run uh, biohacking women so www.biohackingwomen.com so those channels are are the best way to find me yay amazing i'll make sure to put them in the show notes so you can check out inka's instagram and her website and the program which is amazing thank you so much this was so wonderful thank you so much dora i really enjoyed the discussion with you if you loved this episode, please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps us spread the word about the power of holistic health and beauty, and it helps this podcast grow. 
If you share your favorite takeaways from this episode on Instagram, please make sure to tag me so I can reshare. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful week.